0: Well, hello everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Ambition Podcast. I'm David Woods-Hale, Director of Marketing and Communications at Amber and BGA. A few weeks ago, I was really lucky to catch up with Ben Renshaw, who is the author of a new book entitled Being, The Six Principles for Leading in an Age of Fast Change. I thought it was really timely to speak to, to Ben during the coronavirus pandemic, because we were able to talk about his views on teamwork, leadership, and being human and having a sense of purpose. In the current uncertain global climate. Well hi Ben, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today for the podcast. Um, I thought it might be useful if you perhaps kicked off the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself and your career.
1: Oh look, thank you David and it's great to be together. So just to rewind for a moment, I, I started life out with a very different hat on. I actually grew up as a classical violinist at the Yehudi Menuhin school nestled in the beautiful countryside of Surrey. But music was not my vocation. It was not my destiny. And uh, upon leaving, I then transitioned into the world of personal development. And, you know, nine books later, and 30 years later of coaching and developing leaders and building high performing teams and working globally across the world. Uh, my, I think my real kind of focus and, and passion is about helping to get the best out of people, really enabling them to unlock their potential so they really can be the best version of themselves.
0: So with that in mind, I was really excited to to hear that you've written a new book. Um, it's called Being, The Six Principles for Leading in an Age of Fast Change. Can you tell me a little bit about the book and 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 really suppose some background is into why you decided to to write it and, and what it's about? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, the main uh, feedback that I've got from clients over the years in terms of one idea that has probably had the most profound impact, not only in terms of people's work, but also their lives, was this concept. And it's so basic, fundamental, but it's amazing how it's overlooked that at the end of the day, we're human beings. We're not human doings. And yet what has happened, I think, over time is we've become so programmed and conditioned to task, to transaction, to getting stuff done, uh, that particularly in the workplace and from a leadership perspective, people have lost touch with their humanity. And so over the years, um, in, in much of the work that I've done, I've introduced people to this concept of making a shift from doing to being the concept really is that most people, most of the time tell themselves that when they have what they think they want, they're going to do all the great things they want to do in life and be the kind of person they want to be. And I just challenge them to make a switch and put your being first. In other words, how do you want to be? And let that being then shape what you do, which ultimately will determine the outcomes that you have. And as that is the foundation for the book, which obviously is why the book is called Being, (laughs) uh, I've then Choreograph six principles, which I believe are most relevant in terms of the climate and the environment that we're in. And obviously, what's interesting is that the book was written pre COVID 19, but genuinely, I think that the ideas in it, such as the ability to really be vulnerable and be present, and be adaptable, and be humble, and connect with other people, and build relationships. All these ideas are even more relevant today in a climate of complete uncertainty and
0: unpredictability. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's such a timely book. And I think that we've sort of touched on the idea of being and purpose. Um, And I was really excited um, in the book to see that when you talk about leadership, you often mention the word purpose. Now at Amber, we often talk about the quadruple bottom line. So people, planet, profit and purpose. So it's something that's very close to my heart and certainly very close to the hearts of a lot of people who will be listening to this podcast. In your own words, how do you think people can find their own purpose and become the best leaders possible with that at the core of what they're doing?
1: Yeah, look. well, firstly, look, I really appreciate your passion uh, around this and I, I love your four Ps and you use that framework a lot. Look, there are three simple but not, uh, simple but not easy steps in terms of really discovering and defining your own personal purpose. And and this is just the methodology that I, I use. So step number one is to really identify when you are at your best. So this often is when you've had peak experiences in your life or your career or in relationships. It could be times when you've truly been in flow or in the zone, sometimes described as just this effortless effort, almost the experience that things are happening, but you don't quite know how. There's almost a mystery to it. And once you've identified those experiences, the second step is then to ask yourself why. What was it about those experiences that were so meaningful for you? What was it about them that was so significant? What was going on that really touched your sense of passion and your energy and just unleashed your potential because purpose has very, very much to do with this experience of your own passion, your own sense of possibility. And then once you've completed those steps, so step one, identify the peak moments. Step two, make meaning of those. Step three is then you've got kind of to put this in this melting pot and ask, so what? So you've got all of that, then what? What ultimately is your big why? Why do you do what you do? What is that deepest intrinsic motivation that you have? What kind of value do you want to add in the world? What difference do you want to make? What impact do you want to have? And you bring that together. So if I just give you a really, really quick example, because that's the theory, but in practice. Um, uh, so look, I was, on, on one occasion, I was coaching a, a lawyer, fantastic guy uh, called Grant. He was approaching 50. And, um, you know, he he was top of his field, uh, but kind of frustrated. He essentially had kind of burnt out on transaction and just, you know, doing transactional law. But you know, you've got the lifestyle that accompanies it and and you're really ambivalent about what that means and what that could look like. And so when he was looking at kind of next step in terms of career, I really challenged him, let's not make this about your career. Let's make this about your purpose. And so then uh, we applied this approach and really started to ask him when he was at his best. And couple of examples he gave, uh, he he loved his sports, so he was actually an Ironman, triathlete, so that was a big example for him about him at his best. Um, He actually loved, he was passionate about education and developing other people, so that became another big theme for him. And then he loved, he actually did really get energised by doing big deals and transactions. So then having identified those types of experiences, I asked him, so what, what was it about them that had so much meaning? Sports for him was all about challenge. He loves a big challenge. He needs challenge in order to thrive. And then when he really looked at in terms of education and helping other people learn, it, that, for me, that for him was all about creativity and just really helping people think differently. And then the transaction and the deals – again, was all about just stretching his own thinking and creating new possibilities. So we put that all together. And actually, the way that he described his purpose then was to be the best version of himself. And through being the best he could be, he could then apply that to Everything in terms of being the best kind of dad he could be, the best partner, the best friend, um, in terms of the best lawyer. And actually, through that lens, he was able to reinvent the way that he applied himself to his work to create a whole new chapter.
0: And I guess taking that example and perhaps making it a little bit wider, uh, you've worked with some of the world's biggest brands. So, to name a few, PG, Sainsbury's, Sky, Coke, Unilever. From your experience in working with these companies, are there sort of shared or key components that make a great leader? Is, this, is there sort of components that people have in common that you see again and again, or does it vary?
1: Oh, that's a, a big question.
0: Um,
1: look, I, I, I've been developing leaders for about 20 years now. And what I would say is there are, there are some things that don't change, and other things that need to change. (laughs) Um, If I was to try and simplify and just absolutely boil it down, that um, the, the, that's completely timeless for me as a leader is about authenticity and being yourself. I think that what people want from leaders is they want to know who you are. Now, in order to be authentic and be yourself, you've got to know yourself. (laughs) So that's a a real journey for leaders. And that self-knowledge for me uh, includes your own sense of purpose, your values, your strengths, your own vision, what it truly is that you want to contribute and the difference you want to make. So that, that for me is a fundamental component uh, in terms of self-knowledge, self-awareness, which enables you to be the best version of you. Another lens of looking at that is, is emotional intelligence in terms of how well that you know yourself. I think then in terms of the skill set as leaders, um, more so now than ever is what I'm seeing is the ability to really empathize and engage and connect with others. Um, I actually just heard yesterday, I I was coaching somebody, and I heard a story that just made my blood boil of this amazingly incredible guy in this organization. He's got a new line manager, and they were doing their mid-year performance reviews. And and out of nowhere, out of nowhere, this new line manager rated this individual a two out of five on a five point scale. Uh, This this, is, I mean, he's delivered all his targets. He's absolutely jumped ahead on his engagement scores with his people. I mean, and and it was simply that the, his line manager was needing to meet this performance bell curve in order to show that he was measuring people, you know, in the, in, in the supposed right way. It just made my blood boil. So, uh, you know, empathy, understanding of other people. And then I think the other key skill today is about adaptability. Obviously, we're leaders today are having to navigate this environment of the complete unknown every day. And whether that be you know, cost efficiencies through the different operating models, literally then dealing with people's lives, uh, you know, virtual working, uh, people's families, what they're having to juggle, that level of adaptability. And I think the essence of all of that is intense curiosity. What leaders need today is this insatiable appetite to ask, what if, to have an open-mindedness that they bring to all situations because they don't know and they do not have the answers and they need to have the vulnerability and the humility to say, I don't know and I need help and what's a better
0: way here? I think that's a great point. I think there's perhaps one of the positives of, of the current environment is that we've all been given permission almost to say it's okay not to be okay, to ask for support, to be more transparent, to be more authentic, to share how we're feeling. And that's certainly something that I've seen coming across over the past weeks and months. So I think that's a good thing in terms of, the, I suppose, the overall sort of mental health of, of the world, in a sense. Absolutely. Um, I think it's fair to say, and we we discussed this a little bit at the start of the conversation, that change has had a huge role in organizations over the past uh, probably six months, I think it's fair to say. And leaders are sort of operating in this increasing age of uncertainty. What do you think would be your one piece of advice in how business leaders can sort of deal with uncertainty on a day-to-day basis? for themselves and also for their teams as well
1: ruthless honesty just be honest you do not have the answers just as what we were saying you do not have the answers it may be that you know there are answers right now but what there is the need for people need to be listened to people need to be understood people need to be heard you need to create the psychological safety as a leader where people can speak up they can have voice they can you know ask the difficult questions and as a leader you you need to have the humility that you don't have all the answers. Nobody knows. Nobody can predict. Nobody knows what's going to go on. Maybe today, but tomorrow, really? I would really challenge anybody on that. (laughs) I think that that for me, it's a very, very different way of being. It requires a lot of courage. You've got to have, you know, be very, very confident in your own sense of being in order to be able to show up and really help people uh, through the transition.
0: And I suppose hand in hand with being and purpose is the idea of potential. And I think everybody wants to obviously achieve their own potential in the workplace and beyond. What do you think are the most common reasons that people can't reach their potential or perhaps stifled in their potential? And and how can they really um, move beyond this and, and see these challenges as opportunities to move forward?
1: Yeah. So this is a really big question. <laughs> There's a hypothesis uh, at the heart of my work,
0: which is the idea that performance
1: is equal to potential minus interference. In other words, yeah, if you, if you were to say, look, let, let's just take, you know, somebody's in a, in, a, in a new role, you know, do they have the potential to really perform and deliver in that role? Yes. And will there be interference? In other words, will there be barriers and blocks and, uh, and and things in the way that will need to be overcome? Absolutely. And those that interference sits in one of three places. It's either internal to you, it's either in a named other or others, or it's external to you. And the ability to identify what the interference is and where it sits is really, really key. Because often people think that the major you know, blockers to their uh, potential is outside of them. They could be external factors. Actually, when you really, really look at it and look in the mirror, it's not true. The majority sit within your gift. In other words, what you can control or what you can influence in terms of others. And so look, just, just a, a really quick example of that um look i 'm a tennis player i 'm not a ten- I love to play tennis i 'd love to think of myself as a tennis player uh you know do I have the potential you know to 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 get in the zone and hit the ball well Yes, I do, but most of the time i don 't and where does that interference live? It is completely within myself. I get frustrated with myself yeah i get um I I choke on big points. Uh, I, I get impacted in terms of I get threatened by my opponent on the other side of the court. But the biggest opponent that I'm up against when I'm on the tennis court is me. And by my ability to reduce that interference within myself, I get a closer relationship between my potential
0: and my performance yeah i love that analogy that's a brilliant example um just to finish the interview one of my my favorite parts of of doing this podcast has been the number of people that i've spoken to during lockdown have said to me david you know what in a year from now we're going to look back on this year and we're going to think to ourselves this was actually a really good year because we were able to to face challenges to be creative to come up with great ideas to really take our businesses forward and i i have to believe that that's going to be the case this time next year that we'll 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 view this period as something that we can take positives from. So I'd just like to finish the interview by asking you how you think that organizations can encourage their staff to think a little bit more creatively and really see the challenges we're facing now as opportunities that they can rise to over the next months.
1: Look, I, I think what I am seeing, the the num one of the number one benefits that I'm seeing here is new levels of teamwork and collaboration that's unprecedented. Um, I, I, In all the organizations I, I'm seeing and working with, I think there are much greater levels of awareness and understanding about um, the, the interconnectedness of people within an organization. Yeah, if you talk about what, what is an organization, all an organization is. It's just a collection of people, <laughs> and yet it, it's so... Um, you know, easy to overlook that and, of course, the irony of this is in a virtual environment where where I think people have taken it for granted in the past that you've got that social element and that human element and you can just catch up in between meetings or you can grab a coffee or a corridor conversation or whatever that is and in the absence of that, people need to be far more intentional and deliberate about how do they go about cultivating and nurturing those relationships and investing um, in those connections so that they can really then benefit from that exponential impact of working together. And so I, I would say, look, if I was going for one thing and one thing to take forward, which I genuinely believe will be a game changer and it will enhance not only organizational lives, but people's lives will be human connection. Because at the end of the day, as I said at the beginning of our conversation, we're human beings, we're not human doings. And if through this crisis we can all remember our humanity more, it's going to put us in a better, stronger place.
0: Absolutely. Um, I mentioned at the start of the interview that I thought the book was coming out at a very timely um, occasion, and I think this interview is actually really timely as well. We've talked a lot about how perhaps um social distancing isn't the right word to be using to describe the current environment. We should be physically distant, but socially inclusive. And I think that being human and being connected absolutely feeds into that and it is really important. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. I've really enjoyed talking to you and I've taken a lot from this personally and I'm sure our listeners will as well. So thank you again, Ben. It's been, it's been great to talk.
1: Fantastic. David, go well and look forward to future contact. Thank you. Thank you.
0: We also have a wealth of articles on the Ambition website that look at the issues that we've talked about during this interview, such as being more human, authenticity, transparency, and moving forward into the new normal. So if you want to have a look at those, you can find them at www.associationofmbas.com forward slash Ambition.